But God actually calls us to lay our rights down for the sake of the gospel. And there is a work of gentleness that God desires to be made evident, to be visible, to be shown, to be on display for his church. Because when God's virtues are rooted deeply in our hearts, they're made visible to a watching world that gives testimony of not our greatness, but the greatness of our God. Author and pastor Jerry Bridges says this about gentleness. He says, gentleness is stooping down to help someone. God continually stoops down to help us. And he wants us to do the same, to be sensitive to the rights and the feelings of others. In the passage we're going to study today, we're going to see how gentleness is to be on display. In fact, in this passage, it tells us the rules for engagement as it relates to Christian or even non-Christian controversy. How to have a good fight, right? Here's the rules for engagement for the fights that are so so known in the world among us. Not even fights on the outside world, but fights even internally in the church. It's not if controversy happens, it's when it happens. And when it does happen, how do you walk through it? Well, God's Word gives us instruction for how to walk in obedience when controversy takes place or when these fights need to be engaged with or even when they don't. And there's something powerful about God's Word that is revealed through this passage. I want to I put a spotlight on three things that we're going to study in this passage. The first thing we're going to study is that Christian character is of utmost importance. 2 Timothy 2.22, we're going to see Christian character is of utmost importance. The second thing we're going to see is there's things that should be avoided as it relates to controversy. That's verse 2.23. And then we're going to see what ultimately the Christian should pursue in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the war. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. Read with me the first verse of this passage at 22. Paul says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Paul doesn't mince words when he gives this command. He says, flee youthful passions, run from them, tuck tail and go the other direction. And the other direction is actually in pursuit of righteousness. When you flee sinful or youthful passions, you are pursuing the righteousness of God. This should be a mark of genuine Christianity in God's church is that we don't hate We don't love the things that God hates, but we hate the things that God hates. And God hates, with a passion, sin. And these youthful passions are the things that are associated with the works of the flesh. And the Apostle Paul unpacks them in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. It's the the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It sounds like straight out of the frat house, doesn't it? <laughs> That's useful passions. That's youthful passions. I got the college students like, yes, yes, I hear that. Um, so maybe some old college student wannabes are like, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Okay, keep going. Um, flee youthful passions. The things that, that the world loves and the world embraces and the world celebrates are actually the things that, that God despises. It's important for for the church. There's a distinctness that the Christian carries. It's not a pompousness. It's not a pride. In fact, you'll see it's quite the opposite. But when the Christian turns and flees from youthful passions or the lust or the sins of the world in the pursuit of righteousness, it, it looks like this. Paul says faith. Faith. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit. And those things are shown. And that faith is the deep belief that's grounded in the work that Jesus Christ has done. Realizing that Jesus didn't die so that I could live freely in sin, but he died to save me from sin. And I believe that. And I believe that. And because I believe that, I pursue righteousness and I flee sin. That deep belief in what God has done drives our Christian conduct and character on a day-to-day basis. Now listen, it's not perfection. Like everybody here should feel the weight of that and say, man, I've got a long way to go. I've got a long way to go. But it's faithfulness. It's realizing that we continually have to say yes to Jesus and no to the things that compete against him. Idolatry. The other gods that try to take his place. The other allures that try to captivate our heart. But yet when Jesus satisfies, it's not necessarily easy to say no to those things. But the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to walk in conformity with Christ because we're made in his image because we are his image bearers, because we are called to imitate Christ, to live as Christ. How did Christ live? Well, we live like him. We pursue what he pursues. We love what he loves. We hate what he hates. But yet we give the world a glimpse of who he is by this pursuit of righteousness, pursuing love. Is God everything to you? Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? And do you love others? If that's true, it will be shown in your life. You'll be able to see that. The world will be able to see that. And that love is a concern for God above all else and a serving and loving of others and to pursue peace. Peace. Peace is something that this world knows nothing of because it's in constant turmoil. Every single day, I'm telling you, we're in a season. Every single day you turn on the nightly news and and it's just horrifying. But the peace of God brings reconciliation. It's interesting how the peace of God actually brings a fight, isn't it? (laughs) Because 
people don't, people don't comfortably receive the grace of God and the message that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. In fact, they'll fight wholeheartedly against it. But as believers, we pursue them with gentleness, proclaiming the message of God's grace that brings reconciliation unashamed. We don't have to be ashamed of God's truth, but we are called to embrace them with faith, love, and peace. The Christian conduct is marked by that. The whole of the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are all to be shown in our lives on a day-by-day basis. It's okay if God's working this thing in you and you're not there. But I want to ask you the question, where's the direction of your life headed? And I also want to encourage you, you you can do a U-turn right now. You can do a U-turn right now. It's not too late to turn the direction towards him. Paul says to do this with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. This is not to be done alone. This is not to be done alone. This is not to be done alone, but along with others. If you go at it alone, I guarantee you, you will come under fire and you won't withstand it. But is the church that surrounds you, it's a community of believers. It's those who have your back. It's those who walk in this with you that will help you, disciple you hold you accountable to. You will do the same for them so that we guard our Christian conduct and character that shows of the message of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Friends, it's so important that we cultivate good relationships in the body of Christ. It's so important. I want to ask you, are, are, are those things things that we are cultivating? Because we know our heart's gravitational pull to sin. Are those things that are being cultivated so that others can help us, can walk with us, to encourage us. I mean, there are days where you're just outright faint-hearted and you need a brother or sister in Christ to give you a kind word of encouragement when it feels like all hell is upon you. Are we cultivating that? And it's not easy to cultivate that. It's hard because you're exposed and others are exposed and and we can all think maybe somebody, they they don't want to hang out with me or they don't want to get to know me and everybody thinks that and we don't go anywhere, but it really requires us just pressing in, inviting people over, inviting them to lunch after church, beginning that relationship on the basis of love and allow that to build and build and build and build and it guards your heart. And it guards your mind for the purity of Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit works through the community of believers in guarding and protecting you. Pursue God's grace with the church, with the community of believers. That's why we have community groups at Cross Point. That's why we have ministry teams that even do set up and tear down in kids ministry. There's more than just getting things done that's involved in this. There's right relationships that take place. There's things that allow us to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Pursue these things 
with a church that's pure in heart. Billy Graham, as you know, one of the greatest evangelists of our age, he says, being a Christian is more than just instantaneous conversion. It's a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. Billy Graham's message was so powerful because Billy Graham really, really worked hard at it. You know, Christian conversion is the work of Jesus whereby he saves us and there's nothing that we do to earn it. Sanctification is the work of Jesus where we cooperate, where we are God's vessels of God working in and through our lives. God moving in unimaginable ways to bring us into conformity to the character of Jesus. Billy Graham had rules with money, with women, with things that would get him in trouble. And he knew would get him in trouble. And, it, and when the media tried to discredit him and they were digging up things that they thought would, would harm him, they could never come after him because his character and his conduct rose to the top. While many didn't like his message, they could not argue his character. While a sinful, flawed man was Billy Graham, Billy Graham was known as a man to pursue what is right. I pray that we would be that as well. Let's turn our attention now to what should be avoided as we look into these controversies that take place. 1 Timothy 2, 23. Have nothing to do with foolish controversies, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Foolish and ignorant controversies, Paul says, have nothing to do with because they breed quarrels. They breed fights. And so you've got controversies that are foolish. The actual word is moron. (laughs) They're moron controversies. They're controversies that you engage in that are just absolutely stupid. Like, it'd be like arguing over which way the toilet paper goes. Do we put it this way or do we put it this way? You know, those controversies are are, are just absolutely stupid, but these are the controversies that we can be so embroiled in in the world. We, We are constantly called to move in one direction and to give in to these controversies, and and ultimately they don't lead to anything substantial. You see it all the time on social media. Friends, I have found that there's no, there's no there's very few converts that are made online. I've found that. I, I just I just I just realized that people are just looking to to pick a fight and to further root them in their point of themselves in their point of view. They're looking for people to to affirm it, and the people that confront it, they want to confront. And so foolish controversies aren't worth engaging in. It's just bait that we shouldn't get into. How about this? How about let's pick up the phone, call somebody. Let's make an appointment for lunch. Let's get time together. Let's not hash these things out for the whole world to see that discredits your character. But let's allow God's grace to be made known in it as face-to-face, person-to-person, soul-to-soul, we realize that God can do greater things. Don't engage in foolish, moron controversies. And then there's 
ignorant controversies. They're senseless controversies. There's controversies that we actually know nothing about. We're not going to find the answer to. Early on in the church, there was a great deal of argument that went around what day did Jesus Christ die? Was it on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday? And this controversy embroiled the church against one another, and it caused bickering and fighting to take place. And there was evidence that could be linked to either area. And it caused the church to be inward focused in fighting one another. But if you come to the answer, what good does it do? There's a lot of secondary issues in the church today. Baptism, gifts of the spirit, all these things, they're secondary answers. And while we have strong opinions about these things, you'll know that we have strong opinions about these things. We will not argue and fight for that which does not need to be argued and fought over. We will not die on every hill. Do you hear me? Like, we're not going to die on every hill. There's some people, they've got hills all over the place that they say they're going to die on. One hill for us. One hill. The gospel. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. I'll die on that hill. I'll give my life for that hill. This church will exist to die on that hill if need be. But we're not going to give our lives for that which isn't worth it. We're not going to give our lives for that which isn't worth it. We're not going to break fellowship with good, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, sin-fleeing saints who believe in a different direction. We're not going to engage in those senseless quarrels or controversies. They're just not worth it. Because they don't matter. Because they don't matter at the end of the day. What matters at the end of the day Is that there's a deep belief that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Friends, we will fight for that. We will fight to say that sin needs a savior and needs to be repented of. But when we do, we will be gentle. We'll be gentle. We don't have to walk around with pompous pride. Trying to bring other in, in, others in on our, our way of thinking by, by declaring how much we know. But we'll be gentle, engaging them with kindness. Engaging the world with God's grace. There are controversies that I think the church should be on the forefront in. And there are controversies historically that the church has been on the forefront in. Remember Martin Luther and his 95 thesis on Wittenberg door. And at the front of that was this sola scriptura, the word of God for the people of God, so that God's word can bring salvation. The church should be on the forefront of controversies like that. Martin Luther King Jr.'s in the civil rights, it was an image of God issue that was engaged with. It was the works of the Holy Spirit that could not be displayed because of the freedoms being quenched from the world around them. These were battles that should have been fought. There's things that are in the forefront of our culture today. Issues of human life in the womb. Issues of racial reconciliation. Issues of human trafficking. Issues of sexuality. These things are things that the church should be on the forefront of. Not combative, but gracious and gentle. Bringing others over to our point of view 
because they're being converted to God in Christ Jesus. And even when people disagree with us, they won't have any room to malign our character because we're walking with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting that ultimately, if we're going to make any headway in these things, it's a work of God in God alone. And we realize that. First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 2, 24, Paul now tells us what should we pursue or even how to fight. Verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. The Lord's servant should not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Not somebody that's hot-headed, not somebody that we know is just trying to pick a fight. You can spot those people a million miles away, but they should be kind. Should be known as being kind, tender-hearted, like we talked about last week. Forgiving of one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. They should be able to teach. Should be able to teach. Good teachers are good teachers because good teachers love their students, right? And if we're going to gain listening ear from the world of conflict around us, it's going to be because we genuinely love. The best teachers aren't the teachers that know the most, so don't be afraid here. Don't be afraid here. The best teachers are those who love the most. And because they love, they want to know more. Because the more they know, the more they're able to give to their students. And when we're engaging in controversies, the goal isn't isn't a fight, but the goal is to, to teach. That someone might change, that they might grow because they learn things that they did not previously know. A good teacher is worth listening to because we know they have something to say. They're worth listening to because we know they have something to say. And friends, we have something to say because we have the gospel. And the gospel says what God has said to this world. Patiently enduring evil. 1 Peter 3, nine says, Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called. My, my kids, one of the, this is one of the things I have to teach them, right? Especially my, my five-year-old little UFC fighter. <laughs> my, my, my son will annoy her, maybe tease her, and will cause her to get all red in the face and fist bald, man. And, and then before you know it, she'll, she'll, she'll look at Camden with disdain, even hatred, and say, Camden, you're being mean, and clock him. Right then, it's, it's so ironic. Lily, Lily, Camden was being mean, but that was worse. All right, sweetheart. All right, hey, li- listen, don't hit me, okay? All right, that's gonna hurt, Daddy. Please. But it's it's funny how that happens. But that that's what we do is we think if somebody does something evil to us, we should repay evil in return. But Paul says, stay away from that. Don't repay evil for evil, but repay. Evil for good. Kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. Allow them to see the sincerity of your heart. And you don't have your whole identity wrapped up in this argument. Correct your opponents with gentleness. This is, this is where we see the fruit of the spirit of gentleness really important in the midst of fighting or controversy. A gentle person is not afraid to bring correction. 
you would think that a gentle person would stay away from controversy. No, gentle person finds themselves right in the middle of what's important. And they're not afraid to rebuke when it's needed. Paul says in Thessalonians, rebuke the unruly, help the weak, encourage the faint-hearted. They know when to rebuke, they know when to help, and they know when to encourage. Because they realize that in the midst of this arguing, woundedness is bound up in it. And the gentle person, their goal isn't just to win or be right, but to bring healing. Because in the middle of these arguments, there's deep hurts that someone carries, maybe against a church. Or maybe someone has an experience where they think that God was absent. And so they have made themselves an enemy of God, that God is using you to draw them back to him. They correct with gentleness because they know that it's important that they have the ear of their opponent. A gentle person is someone that could hold you in their hands, but they won't crush you. Right? They're powerful. They could hold you in their hands, but they won't crush you because they care for you. That's, that's Jesus. Right? Jesus had the power to destroy. But Jesus came down and gave us God's gentleness. This is the gentleness that we want to be shown in our church. Jesus was known as somebody who people could rest around. They didn't have to be restless around Christ because he, he didn't want to destroy them. He wanted to save them. So they didn't have to be restless or fearful. But they could be themselves and that when they're themselves, he could apply God's grace to them. Can, can people be themselves around you? Like, could they be free to share their sins without you wanting to destroy them? Could they, are they restless around you? Are they not forthcoming around you? And I want to ask, why is that? Is it because they're afraid that you might destroy them? Or if you knew the deep, dark secrets of their closet, you might out them. Are you gentle? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives us everything to walk in this Christian life. He gives us everything everything. While it is hard, Jesus says, I carry that yoke with you because my yoke is easy and my burden's light because I am your burden bearer. Could we in gentleness bear the burdens of one another? The sorrows, the losses, the hopelessness, the future that they thought they had, but they find isn't there anymore. The struggles, the shortcomings, the failures, Can we bear those burdens of our neighbors, of our families, of our spouses, of our children, of our roommates, of our coworkers? Can we bear those burdens with them? Could we genuinely give ear and listen to them and engage them in a fight for their life? Because salvation in Christ alone is the is the most important thing. What's at stake here, friends? Is heaven and hell in the balance? If they don't have Christ, if they don't have eternal life, 
if they don't have eternal life, they don't have the enjoyment of God for all eternity. Friends, we are called to pursue them with gentleness. Matthew 12, 20 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. There's the brittle wick that you see, or the brittle reed that you see that can easily be broken, but gentleness won't push it over or break it, but seeks to bind it up and make it straighter and stronger. There's the wick that's barely burning. That, that light has just got a little smoke coming from it. And instead of quenching it or snuffing the wick, we fan into flame that wick to where it's a strong gift of faith that arises out of it. Some of you are stronger Christians in here. You're more mature Christians in here. And some of you are more immature Christians in here. It's just natural in a church to have both. One of the dangers is, is that the strong would break the weak or the strong would snuff the weak. Be careful of that, friends. We're not called to perfection, but repentance. Lead one another there. For you who are strong, teach, correct, in gentleness, in love, in grace. We want to be a church that makes disciples, of, that makes disciples, that plants churches, that plants churches. It's quite simple, right? Pointing our city to Jesus Christ. Make disciples that make disciples, plant churches that plant churches. That's what we want to be all about. To get there, discipleship is necessary, but people are going to be on different lines of the spectrum. We want to teach people how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to evangelize, how to live on mission. But friends, we are going to do so with great care and concern. Author Jerry Bridges says we should avoid displaying our commitment to Christian discipleship in such a way as to make others feel guilty, taking care not to break the bruised reed or hurting or of the hurting Christians, or to snuff the smoldering wick of the immature Christians. Ultimately, our goal is, as Paul says in Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them. Not break them, not crush them, but restore them. To run after them, to chase after them, to plead with them, come back to the faith in Jesus Christ. And you are to do this in the spirit of gentleness. And he gives us this warning. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Because we realize where they are, we could be in any moment. Where they are, we could be in any moment. You see some of the biggest falls from God's graces, from the, the biggest leaders of God's church. And it's saddening. Because we know, because we know I could be there in a moment. But my call is one of walking in repentance. I will never be a perfect pastor, but I will be a repentant pastor by the power of God's grace through his Holy Spirit. That's the way I'm called to walk. And that's what Paul calls us to here in the rest of this passage. He says that, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. That's the goal. The goal isn't a fight. The goal isn't winning. The goal isn't seizing our pride and seizing the day. The goal is that they would change. They would change. Repentance would take place. They would go from one direction to the other. They would flee youthful passions or sin. And they would walk in the righteousness of God. That's the goal. And who does it? Not me. 
Not you, but God grants repentance. God grants repentance. It's a work of God through and through. And we trust in him as he is the one that does it. This is what we fight for. Turning from sin and running to the cross of Christ. We have to know our enemy. We have to know our enemy. Paul says, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Who is the enemy? Are they the enemy? Are our opponents the enemy? Or is it Satan? Jesus will not be gentle with Satan. He will absolutely destroy him. He will discredit him. He will throw him into the lake of fire with all that he has deceived. But he will seek to bring them to himself before that moment. And he will discredit the enemy even here today by turning us to the knowledge of God's truth. We receive God's truth and we reject the deceit of the enemy. When that moment happens, there's an incredible work of conversion in the life of the believer. We pass from death to life. And that's what repentance is. Continually passing from death to life. Death to life. Ephesians six twelve says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities and authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Flesh and blood is not our enemies, but it is Satan who is our enemies, our enemy and his minions and the demons that work with him. Friends, what Jesus did on the cross was he defeated the work of Satan with his death. Jesus died and he handed death over to Satan. And it was his from that moment forward. He delivered Satan over to death because Jesus conquered and defeated death in the resurrection. And this is the power of the gospel that we embrace today. One that crushes the head of the serpent and rejoices in the life that he has given to us. And that's why we take communion here today. Because communion is God stooping down to help us through the cross of Christ. Where did we need God most? He gave it. Where did we need God's help the most? He gave it. In fact, he lavished his love upon us in the cross of Christ Jesus. I want to close here inviting you to the gentleness of Christ. I want to close here inviting you to the gentle Savior who came and made an end to all your sin. Who on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For I am his and he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. Will you come to the God of gentleness here today? When you take communion, will you make a commitment and say, God, you are mine right now. You weren't, you, you weren't just mine yesterday and you're not just mine for tomorrow. But right here, right now, I receive your gentleness and I walk in it. If you don't walk in God's gentleness, friends, you will walk in his wrath. If you don't walk in God's gentleness, you will walk in his wrath. But we take communion embracing the work of Jesus Christ that made an end 
of all our sin. Join us in this communion. Today, if you have questions of what it means to follow after Jesus, to receive this gentleness, I'm going to stand back there at that hospitality table and and I'll be happy to answer questions, pray for you. Maybe there's something burdening you today. We as your church want to bear that burden. Come, receive prayer. But right now I invite you to the gentle giant of Jesus and his grace that's given unto us. Would you stand? God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that through your blood, God, we've been delivered from death to life. That through your blood, Lord, we've been shown the way. God, we can be gentle, not because gentleness first resides in us, but gentleness first has been displayed through you as your kindness to us, as your mercy to us. Father, I pray that this message would root itself deeply in our hearts. God, that your word would bear fruit, that we would walk in you. This day forward, we need your help and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite the servers to come, serve us communion.